0: Program is pre-recorded.
1: Morning glory, America, Bonjour, High Canada. That music means it times for the Hillsdale dialogue. Once a week, we go high and we go back. In the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the Shakespearean history plays, and we are back there, and we will be back there in January when we resume our broadcast with Dean Stephen Smith, professor of English at Hillsdale College, and of course, Dr. Larry On, president of Hillsdale College. We were off to learn about the government of England through Shakespeare's lens, and we are now at Richard II. Uh, well, where does Richard II come in the in the cycle? If someone missed, if we just had an affiliate, as often happens in the second half of December, Dean Smith, where are we?
0: Well, we are um, at the beginning of like, the. Or- I guess we may call it the origin story of the War of the Roses, and it's important to know that when Shakespeare wrote his history plays, the first group of plays he wrote were Henry the Sixth, one, two, and three, and then Richard the Third, and and then he went back to tell the story of Richard the Second, Henry the Fourth, and Henry the Fifth. So I like to joke around with students that this famous set of plays we're embarking on right now, this wonderful, wonderful set of plays, is actually a Shakespearean prequel, right? Ah. Uh, he if he goes back and um, tells the story of how we got from Richard to Henry V, and then those that second set of plays begins with the funeral of Henry V. So now, little, now so one,
1: one quick question: Does it have anything to do with John at all, which we covered last week?
0: Uh, no, except thematically, um, we have another um, pair of of tremendously. Um, interesting and problematic kings on our hands, first Richard II and then Henry IV. So he is just meditating deeply on the character of these leading figures, and that's what he wants us to pay attention to. But what I want
1: people to know is, especially the Steelers fans, Richard I appeared in John. Richard II is not his son, is not connected to Richard I.
2: 250 right. years later. Yeah, that's what I was looking yeah. for. 150 <laughs> years later, sorry. And, and, and it's, see, remember another, so the theme that, uh, remember, these are about politics too. They're about nature, finally, and human nature and all that, but they're about politics, which, and human nature is displayed in politics. And the point is, what drives the War of the Roses is a family controversy. And and it's you know and it's all all of the males in the family were killed. They fought. They fought each other to simple destruction. And you know that's England, which is you know thought to be the most stable place in the world. Wow. It, well uh, put summary. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what happened. <laughs> yes, yeah, everybody's dead.
1: What do we? Okay, give us the synopsis, Professor Smith. Well,
0: Richard II. Um, you It begins with uh, Richard's attempt to uh, solve a, a big quarrel between two of his leading lords, uh, Henry Bolingbroke and Thomas Mowbray, and he solves the problem um, by exiling both of them, uh, banishing both of them, one for life and then Bolingbroke for a certain number of years. And that's sort of the, the key first act in the play. It shows us how Richard um, kind of rules.
1: Why is he upset that, with them? Why is he mad at two of the big... And, and a lord in England is a big deal. They have a lot of land. They're charged with a lot of responsibilities. They have to keep the peace in the border, and they have to keep bad guys away, and they must rally to the king in times of danger. Why is he upset
0: with these two lords? Well, actually, they're accusing one another of very serious, very serious crimes, and and so he's trying to you know adjudicate it. Um, he, Bolingbroke, for example, and Bolingbroke becomes King Henry the Fourth. So if I say Bolingbroke, you'll think the next Henry the Fourth the whole time. He um, charges the other guy with with even with a murder, and part of the backstory here is the insinuation that Richard the Second himself is actually uh, responsible for that murder, or there's some connection to the king. And so it's a very murky beginning. And rather than letting the men fight it out and have a duel to determine who is right and who is a liar, Richard breaks up the quarrel and then banishes them both. And then after banishing them, uh, Bolingbroke's father, who's John of Gaunt, he dies, and then Richard takes all of his... Stuff, <laughs> oh. um to fight the war. And of course uh, in doing so, he dispossesses his son Bolingbroke, who's exiled. Bolingbroke has Bolingbroke
1: gone son. to France? He's in exile
0: and he returned um, and he is ticked off. You know, His his father's property has been taken it was going to go to him and he's going to return and in short order win the support of the nobles the support of the common people and then become king so he's a very powerful figure and he's richard's mighty opposite in the play i want to say something
2: about this property that was seized because uh yep. john agon's castle stands today it's oh. called it's called lancaster castle and and it's amazing it turns out my wife's daddy was high sheriff of lancaster so his shield hangs in that castle and if you go up in the top of that castle and look around it is a vast and beautiful thing it's just awesome it's a plain, uh... uh... you know thirty five miles south of the approaches to scotland and that's another reason it's important because these like the percy's who are in this north they're from northumbria and and that means that these border places are sources of power because Scotland is an invasion route by continental powers into England. And that's why these, that's why uh, Lancaster, Lancaster and York, uh, two counties side by side, my wife's from Lancashire, uh, and Northumbria, that's why they're important. They're heavily armed and strong. And so he took, uh, Henry, Richard II took the fort away from the family and all the land around it. Of course he was ticked off.
1: Do we have a sense of why he did that? <laughs> was it because he did not want Bolingbroke back to reopen the wounds in the mystery of the murder, or because he's just simply avaricious?
2: He wanted, he wanted money to go fight in Ireland ah. and to and so expand his realm. And I, I, Steve can tell us this better than I can, but I, I, I have a perception about all this, which is the folly of Richard II. What he did... See, managed to alienate two people come into his presence, powerful lords who hate each other, and he manages to alienate them both. <laughs> <laughs> Machiavelli would say, "No, no, 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 no." And Shakespeare is saying that. See, and so yeah, it's there's foolishness, and and that all of the, everything here. And see, John Agon, whom I know a little about because he's a distant relation of my wife uh, he was an extremely respected figure and and he you know and, and Richard banishes his son and if you just you know if you can just put yourself up there there's this vast castle which is huge and unassailable and then the land around it is rich and so to so that's the, those are building blocks of monarchy
1: and so what do you what do you adduce about richard uh Stephen Smith from this first act this first set of decisions?
0: Well, he doesn't know how to rule
1: <laughs> 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 he's a monarch
0: <laughs> he he rules disastrously um and Shakespeare you know, Shakespeare always rolls this way he'll show us a single decision and then gradually over the course of the play really eliminate just how bad a decision it was um, but he's you know he wants to solve things there through his own will um, and he makes a real mess of it and it's gonna cost him the crown right uh, wasteful
1: um, I, you sent but, me notes wasteful unjust, vain. Brought up too young, surrounded by flatterers. I mean, everything could go wrong here, and we might think of some modern presidents the same way.
0: Well, it's a it's a devastating portrait. Yeah. I mean, he's wasteful and kind of pleasure centered. He's partial and he's unjust. He operates above the law. He's surrounded by flatterers who appeal to his vanity and his self love. Um but, you know, John Nagant, I think, has the best critiques of him. Um, he understands him as being uh, deaf to counsel. You know, you just can't counsel the guy.
1: Uh-huh. Uh, well, I was just to... thinking,
0: I was thinking Jack Kennedy,
1: but there are lots to whom that might apply. Don't go anywhere, America. Richard II, we're getting close to real time now. I mean, we, we, we can find castles. We can find shields and we can find lessons. Don't go anywhere. Richard II continues right after the break on the Hilldale Dialogue. All things Hilldale. at Hilltale.edu.
2: There may be only one or two people in the Beltway who can actually tell the truth. You're listening to one of them. The
1: truth continues when Hugh Hewitt returns in a moment. Broke. that's a name to remember, America. If you've never read any Shakespeare or heard of any Shakespeare or read any English history, Bolingbroke is a name to remember. Stephen Smith, professor of English at Hillsdale College, and Dr. Larion, president of Hillsdale, all things Hillsdale at Hillsdale.edu, are here to tell us about Bolingbroke, who is key to Richard II. Tell us about him, Stephen Smith.
0: Well, he is. will, be, he will become King Henry IV, And he's also obviously Henry V's father, so he's a a key figure in this whole sequence. And we know that for for all of, you know, Richard's faults and all of his problems, you know, Bolingbroke, he can command armies. He knows how to win the support of the common people. He is rhetorically gifted. Um, He is willing to fight. Uh, He's a deep plotter. Um, and, and he becomes um, the king by the end of this play, though again, not without problems. But boy, for all of, you know, he's sort of an opposite to Richard in a number of ways. Um, but the key question, again, is whether he's, he's right and justified in what he does in the play. But he's, he's a new kind of leader, right? Some people have called him a Machiavel, um, others have said, nah, not so fast. Um, but he is a a man who's described as carving his own way in the play, and a man of self-born arms. Another description of him, uh,
1: as I recall, Doctor. Anne from my Churchill, he's also quite a successful monarch in in the detailed histories that we have, as opposed to Shakespeare play. I, I think he orders England, doesn't he? Oh yeah, he he, uh, he
2: he and his son. His son didn't live very long, but they were. They were very capable people, and remember what that means. Uh, it turns out that he was not in the direct line of the throne, but he was the one qualified. He's the one who could do the job. And, 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 and uh, Richard II has to make terrible mistakes. And see, you can, another reason he could make the mistake, why would he banish them both, and then why would he strip John Agant of his property? Well, that weakens that family. That weakens because, you know, how did it work, right? They, they had these vast properties. They farmed them. The people who worked on the farms also constituted an army for them, and he took all that away from him, right? And so he, you know, Henry IV, Bolingbroke, he just built his own. And that's, that means that excellence has a claim. It will rule. But it's hard to institutionalize that, because, you know, in Plato's Republic, who should rule? The wise one. Will he? Well, the answer is, he doesn't want to, and we can't make him, because we don't know who he is.
1: See? Uh, Stephen Smith, is there a premonition on on Richard II's part at the beginning? Does he have any idea what he's doing? Does he know he's sending away a better man?
0: Well, he... Yeah, I think he, I think he has a, a fairly good sense of of um, Bolingbroke, though he definitely underestimates um, just how successful he'll be when he returns from exile, fired up about the seizing of the property. Um, you know, that's this is this is an interesting question about the excellence that deserves to rule versus um, the legitimate. Uh, crown, because it comes up a little bit in King John. You may remember with that figure of the bastard. Yeah, you know, this is the guy who can, who can really do it, right? He can order, he can command. Um, he is a figure of tremendous interest to Shakespeare. And now here we go again. We have a bully on in our hands, who who has the capacity to rule, and then he does it.
1: And yeah, I, does it. I, I, I'm reminded of of the of napoleon comes out of nowhere and he didn't see a piece of ground that he didn't imagine a battle naturally gifted uh, monarch emperor and they show up don't go anywhere i'll be right back with dean stephen smith president larry Arn, both of hillsdale all things hillsdale at hillsdale.edu our next segment richard ii we know where he's going but how did he get there stay tuned
2: You're in the middle of a non-stop action-packed information blitz. The Hugh Hewitt Show is coming right back.
1: Welcome back, America. Hugh Hewitt with Dr. Larry Arne, president of Hillsdale College, and Stephen Smith, dean at Hillsdale. He's a professor of English there as well, the Temple family professor of English. And... He is leading us through the history plays of Shakespeare, encouraging us all to dive in and, and get deep into them. And now we turn to the character of Richard II. We were talking about this before the break. This is our long segment, uh, Professor Smith. So take the stage and tell us about about Richard II and what lessons we take about away
0: from him. Well, I think in the first place, you know, he's going to be deposed as king and he will in a way, surrender the crown to Bolingbroke. He doesn't have much choice. Um, but the, the better verdict on him is that he is self-deposed, which, mean, which means that he did this to himself before the play comes down. He, he's a leader who um, kind of undid himself. And that, that's where that, that tragic intensity in Shakespeare always comes up. He's fascinated by uh, not so much someone being deposed as king, but the self-deposing, the habits that brought about uh, the undoing of of the leader. Now, that said, there's something kind of surprising about Richard, too, and it happens all the time when you teach him. When you start to play, everyone thinks this is, you know, a terrible king, and he makes all kinds of mistakes, and what's he thinking? Um, But he does also have any number of really strong insights in the play, especially after he begins to lose everything. Uh, He calls the crown, very famously, the hollow crown, and he says that death is really at the center of the court of the the British monarchy. Um, He feels that he's becoming nothing in the play, that he's being crushed, Um, and yet he says that he's starting to see things differently through his fall. And one of the things he sees uh, in a very famous scene is he's actually weeping because he's losing everything, he's losing the crown, and he probably realizes his life is forfeit as well. So we'll yeah, if, if
1: I can interrupt you, you tell, <laughs> yeah. in your notes, you told me that Elizabeth saw this play and saw herself in Richard II? Well,
0: that's an anecdote that comes down to us. Um, you know, this, we just we have a record of it, and I believe it was for Gentleman Usher, I can't quite remember, but... She is reported to have said, that, you know, Richard II, you know, I know someone just like that. Well, <laughs> now, what would she, what could she true?
1: possibly be referring to? Because she is,
0: she's the excellent monarch. Right, it's, that's a great question. She thought, she, at least according to this anecdote, she identified somehow with this king who couldn't quite rule and deposed himself. You know, this is closer to the end of her life. So I don't know. Surrounded. She was early in
2: her life, right? She waited to be executed. Uh, ah. And, and, ah. And, yes. and then she's surrounded by ambitious and treacherous people. And, you know, her greatness, she consolidated all that. But, you know, she had to arrest people, keep them from voting certain ways. Members of Parliament, High Lords, right? And so she, she proved to be Richard II, except skillful.
1: And she had <laughs> to order the execution of her cousin.
2: Yeah, and that, you know, and, and, uh, and, you know, up there in Scotland, right? That's where Mary, Queen of Scots, was. And, and, uh, and you know, she didn't want to kill that woman, but the, the woman just wouldn't stop. Courting France to depose Elizabeth. So, yeah, they're, they're just the same, except that uh, Elizabeth was, you know, the joke about her is that only a man could hold the English throne. That's why they all wanted sons. And Henry VIII got the best man of them all, Elizabeth.
1: Elizabeth. <laughs> and, and, and so she, I just was struck by that note when Stephen Smith sent that to me. And I thought, boy, this is not what I thought of Richard II. What is and you also say it's the time that England goes from medieval to modern. What do you mean by that, Stephen Smith? Well,
0: I think that in in this second tetralogy, so Richard II, Henry IV, Part One and Two, and Henry V, Shakespeare is sort of meditating on a transition from a medieval understanding of of the kingship to something new. <laughs> you know, Richard thinks he's. You know, he understands himself as the sacred king, uh, as the anointed king. Heaven is on my side; angels will defend me. He understands all the lords as being sworn with sacred oaths of loyalty to him. And so, so, part of his bitterness when he when he gives up the crown and when they all support Bolingbroke is he, he sees them all as oath breakers, um, and he sees them all as traitors to this older understanding of the crown. Um, But the tetralogy rolls on, right? So Richard will be killed, and then um, Bolingbroke and his son, Henry V, will succeed. So is this, uh, you know, meditation on politics, medieval to modern? Uh, Perhaps. You know, and I think when we see Shakespeare's interest in Bolingbroke and Henry V, these are different kinds of leaders, and by the way, both of them are haunted by the specter of illegitimacy in Shakespeare's
1: presentation. Why does he give up the crown? What did he do that was the, uh, if not the only thing he did, what was the decisive mistake? <laughs> he got back from
0: that war one day late, according to a guy in the play. <laughs> <laughs> that's in the, one, of the, one of the lines that comes his way. Uh, he botched it, um, and he was one day late. Bolingbroke was not. Bolingbroke won over all the lords, won over the common people too, and uh, and, and he was outmaneuvered and more or less um,
1: lost. And there so, are a lot of one day moments in Shakespeare, aren't there, for want of a horse? There are a lot of, uh, a lot of moments where everything turns on a day. He,
0: he was an actor, he was a writer, and think of the, the artist and the, the actor's interest in timing, good timing entering a scene at the right moment, getting off the stage at the right moment. He is just preoccupied in this play with the government of time. In what one of the Richard's most painful lines is, I wasted time, and now time wastes me. Oh. And he cannot govern himself in time, and, and, he, and he pays for it um, with the crown first and then his life. How often do we we
1: see that, Doctor? I I mean, I am most amazed by Washington at how much time people waste. Year in and year out, we learn. I go back to uh, President Trump being elected uh, and having McConnell and Ryan in leadership, and they got nothing done for months. Nothing.
2: Yeah, and they didn't, you know, they didn't. That's partly because they didn't want to. And that's partly because they had a different view, at least Ryan did, of the needs of the republic And what it meant that there was a popular uprising, and and you know that's a in other words they didn't get things done because they didn't agree, and and uh, that you know Trump was a you know a hard man to like in some ways, but he represented something very powerful, and that something is still around, and you know my opinion is that's needed because. If the power is concentrated in Washington, D.C. and other elite places, then ordinary folk need to make a difference. And, uh, you know, I, I want to add something. These plays are not as modern as the later ones, as Henry VIII especially, because Parliament is not a big factor Correct. in these right. plays. Right. 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 And, that, and that's because that complicates the politics immensely, and it moves things toward modern, modern, modern Britain sharply, but they don't play any part in this play. But the need for speed and
1: the need to get back on the right day, that's a lesson for leaders. Mm. Uh, I, I mean, throughout history, if you're just late, you're late. And does, and does uh, Richard II, is he aware of that? Um, Stephen Smith, does he, does he remark on his own fault? It's, I, does he accept
0: responsibility? Oh. Oh, yes. I mean, uh, I, I wasted time, now time wastes me. I mean, he he's bitter uh, in, in his recognition of the truth. You know, going back to King John for a second, if you look at that play again, uh, The Bastard, he is the master of time in that play. And he's always urging speed and dexterity and the swift fulfillment of duty. So to um, Bolingbroke and Henry V, um, but also a figure like Edmund and King Lear, who makes such a tragedy out of the play, he's the most commanding figure um, who really understands the value of time and the need to perform to the max
1: at and, uh, the right time. Uh, I'll make a big jump again, remembering that Lincoln is instructed by Shakespeare, and if the lesson here is, is time matters, always pushing his generals to move
2: always
1: demanding more always wanting to go on the offensive dr arn he was not for waiting ever
2: yeah well he and you know it's it, there's no iron rule of hurry but on the other hand you got to realize you know if you're at war it it you're wasting resources if you do nothing and it's expensive and it's and so yeah and see that a lot of that happened because uh, Richard II underestimated Bolingbroke very much. He thought he had broken him, and that's why he could go off to Ireland to aggrandize his kingdom. And you know, he also to get money to go and do that, he extorts large sums from all the people back home. And so it's just a it's just a train of follies. And it is touching, I hadn't appreciated that as much as Steve does, now I do, uh, how he how clearly he saw his mistakes after he made them.
1: We'll come back and conclude on that. Don't go anywhere, America. The final segment of today's Hillsdale dialogue is right ahead. All things Hillsdale at Hillsdale.edu. This is the Hugh Hewitt Show. Hewitt, joined by Dr. Larry Arn, president of Hillsdale College, and Dean Stephen Smith, professor of English at Hillsdale, because it's sort of music for the soliloquy that Richard has at the end of this play. Uh, uh, Professor Smith, he's in prison. What's he thinking about?
0: Well, it's funny, you know, on on the use of time, I mean, one good use of time is always study, it turns out. It's an important part of prudence, you know, studying a problem, taking counsel, taking time. So, I just want to make sure it's clear that it's not just we should run around, as you say, doctor, hurrying all the time and just doing stuff like that. That would be a mistake. But at these moments um, with the kingdom on the line, boy, does one pay for um, time errors. But when Richard's in prison, you know, this is right before he's killed, um, he just says, I've been studying how I may compare this prison where I live unto the world, and that he will reflect on... Uh, things philosophically and theologically and he says that he has a kind of conflict of thoughts inside him um, the better sort is m- intermixed with things divine and scruple and then there are thoughts that tend to ambition and he in a way is uh, experiencing a kind of war inside himself um, in this in this last, um, prison soliloquy. He calls it a play. He's playing in one person, many people, and none of them contented. Sometimes I am the king, and treason makes me wish myself a beggar. But then I am kinged again. And I to, he's he's going back and forth about you know what he what he truly wants.
1: Is it one of the? Is it? Do you consider it one of the great soliloquies?
0: I do love it. Yes, and um, and the fact that it's right before he's killed, I think gives it even more power. I mean, one of the things about Richard that's extraordinary is he is one of the best speakers in the history plays. He's one of the most poetic figures. Um, that's one of his real strengths. Um, but on the doing side and the ruling side, not so much. And so when he talks about his interior experience in prison, um it's powerful. It's unforgettable. But then he's going to be cut off um, and, and killed at the provocation of Bolingbroke. So it, it's, a, it's a painful ending for, for Richard. And then the history plays will roll on with Bolingbroke as Henry IV. So um, it's, it's a great ending, but it's also the first of the uh, four great plays.
1: Does Shakespeare give us a hint that the next one is coming when this one concludes?
0: Yes, I think so. Um, you know, again, Bolingbroke, kind of the way King John got Arthur killed, or kind of the way Thomas Beckett died. Um, Bolingbroke asks, do I have no friend who will, live, who will rid me of Richard II? He kind of asks out loud, and one guy hearing this says, I'll take care of it, and he goes and kills Richard. <laughs> oh, to be
1: careful what you say when you're a monarch. This,
0: this is not all that well in English history, but um, that's how that's how Richard dies. But we do have a little hint at the very end about Henry V, and all we know about him is that while all this other stuff has been going on, Bolingbroke's son, the future Henry V, has been hanging out in Eastcheap and um, kind of making a bad name for himself. And there's just a hint there in the first description of Prince Hal, Henry V, that more is coming and that Shakespeare is very interested in him. And he will prove to be quite a bit um, greater than his father.
1: It's going to be, Henry IV and Henry V are going to be great. Dr. Ron, do you... you Care for Richard at the end of this? we got about a minute left. This well, poor
2: guy in the cell
1: thinking, gosh, did I screw this up?
2: Here's something people should do. There is a fabulous series available on Netflix and other places called The Hollow Crown, after that line that Steve quoted. And it's just extremely well acted. It's recently made. And people might go, if, you go, if tonight or this weekend you watch Richard II, it's just awesome, see, and 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 you'll you'll see come to life uh, almost as well as Steve Smith makes it come to, to life. So you should oh, watch it. Holocaust.
1: Do you teach a Shakespeare class, Professor Smith? Oh yes, as often as I can. <laughs> and how many students are in it?
0: <laughs> well, we always we keep our classes uh, small at Hillsdale, and I I love to teach anywhere from 15 to 20 at an
1: upper-level seminar. Yeah, I'm I'm always grumpy. Harvard had a Shakespeare class. I never got into it. I tried every year. I never got into it. I'm still grumpy about that. So I hope you, uh, you know, Dr. Arna, I'm not going to tell you to make him work harder, but I'm just saying, you know, there are more kids out there than need Shakespeare. Uh, There (laughs) there are limits in nature, right? There 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 aren't a lot of people who can do that. Is it by lottery, Dean Smith? <laughs> Is admission by lottery? No, it's by love. So. Oh there you go. Dr. Uh, Smith, Dr. Arn, both of you have a great Christmas season. We will be back in January with Henry 4 and Henry V and march on through the history plays. hope all of you have a wonderful Christmas season. We will be replaying some of our all-time favorite Hillsdale dialogues on um, on Christmas and New Year's. Don't miss them and then we'll be back in 2022 an eventful year ahead. Thank you for listening.
2: you absolutely positively need the truth this is where you turn this is the Hugh Hewitt show